Um, our Bible reading before Chris comes to speak to us is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. That's on page 1174 in the church Bibles. So Ephesians chapter 2, from verse 11 to 24. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were, who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at, a, at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in, his, in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and destroyed a barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too have been built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Thanks very much. Great. If you can keep that passage open, that would be wonderful. Okay, I've got another little quiz. Um, groan. Um, here in the Church of the Annunciation in Nazareth, there are mosaics from many different countries depicting uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus. And uh, if we can put uh, them on the screen. Now, have a look at the architecture below. Anyone guess what country this might be? A European country. Italy, very good, very good, Italy. Yeah, next one. Difficult. Kind of a crazy president of this country. No. This is Philippines. Philippines, you weren't going to get it. Okay, next one. Capital city is Jakarta. Indonesia. Easy one. Thailand. Yep, Thailand. Japan. Yeah, the kimono is the, is the clue. Yeah, Japan. Yes, China. Korea. Very good. Excellent. Well, these are international depictions, and if you went into the church as an alien you would have to say this Jesus, whatever he is, he is someone for all nations. He is the Jewish Messiah for all nations. And that really is our theme this morning. 
We're going to divide our time into four as we look at the passage that was read. We're going to look at um, what we were, what we are now, how this has happened, and why it's happened. So have a look at verses 11 and 12. What we were starts off, therefore remember, remember. And Paul wants these Christians that he's writing to, to remember what they were outside of Jesus Christ. Keep remembering. And Paul says, before you came to Christ, you were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised. Now, the Jews had bad names for the Gentiles. And several nations today have bad names for foreigners. In, in China, Jiayan Guizhi is uh, a, a kind of like foreign devils. In, in Thailand, where, where I lived for five years, uh, foreigners were called Farang. It wasn't a very bad name, but um, there were prices for Thai and prices for Farang everywhere you went. If you went to a restaurant, price for Thai and a price for Farang. If you went to the national park, you would pay three, four times as much if you were Farang as you were Thai. And obviously, the Jews and Gentiles had bad names for each other, and our world has always been tribal. Our own continent of Europe has been constantly at war during its history, and despite a freeze in hostilities over the, ne- over the last 75 years, we now have another cold war, literally uh, focusing on the land of Ukraine. Martin Luther King had a dream that his nation would live out the ideal or its, its true meaning of the creed that all men are created equal. But America today is actually more tribal than ever, with regular name-calling, a feature on social media and other media channels. Anyway, in verse 12, um, Paul drops the business about what Jews and Gentiles call each other, and he comes to the serious business about what the Gentile world was like alienated from Christ. And the first disability of belonging to the Gentile world, not the Jewish world, is that they are separated from Christ, verse 12. Remember at that time you were separate from Christ. In chapter 1, I don't know if you remember, he's listed all the blessings of belonging to Christ. Redemption, forgiveness, the riches of God's grace lavished on us, chosen, marked in him by the Holy Spirit. But the Gentile world, he says, is separated from all that, literally cut off, which reminds us of of circumcision, alienated from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant. So Israel was a nation under God. God had bound himself to this nation in a covenant and led them. And Gentiles were excluded from that unless they came in and became Jews and were baptized as Jews and accepted circumcision. But without that, Paul says they were without hope and without God in the world. Without hope and without God in the world. Now, this isn't an exaggeration. I'm old enough now to have seen people come to the end of their lives, some knowing Jesus and some not. And in regard to people who have lived without Jesus, the the words of Freddie Mercury come to mind, actually, in in his song, The Show Must Go On, 
where he sings, whatever happens, I'll leave it all to chance. Another heartache, another failed romance, on and on. Does anybody know what we're living for? In Shakespeare's play, The Tempest, Shakespeare calls our lives an insubstantial pageant faded. But this is, the, this is the life being lived by millions of people today. As people get older and as their powers fade, there's a lack of hope. There's nothing to look forward to. In the words of the Welsh poet Dylan Thomas, all they can do is not go gentle into that good night, but rage, rage against the dying of the light. So Paul describes the Gentiles outside of Christ as without hope but also without God, atheoi, even though God has revealed himself to all people through creation, the Gentile world has suppressed this truth and made gods for themselves. And even in the golden ages of, of Greece and Rome, the bloodthirsty and scary gods failed to satisfy human hearts. People were atheoi, godless, without hope having a no, no true knowledge of God that he'd given to Israel. Now think of ourselves individually. Paul says, therefore, remember. As, as you sit there, remember what you were like outside of Christ. Lost, enmity in your heart towards God, knowing little of, of human community. You might have belonged to some tribe or other, this might completely surprise and shock you, but I remember going out fighting in Port Talbot on Saturday nights. I can hardly fight a cold. But that was, the, that was the kind of community I was in. If you wanted to be liked in Cumavon, where I'm from, you needed to play rugby and you needed to go out. And if there was a fight with other people from another area, you needed to join in. It was a tribal community that said, I belong to this, not that. And I can hear Paul saying to me this morning, remember, Chris, remember what you were. Remember how lost you were, how hopeless and atheoi you were before God's love reached down to find me. I truly was lost without hope, trying to cling to one tribe or another, trying to find an identity but I was atheoi, godless and lost. And now, despite much ongoing brokenness, I am found. And let me tell you what else I've become as we go through the passage. Verse 13 now. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We've got one of, I hate saying this, but we've got another lovely but in the book of Ephesians. We had one in verse 4, and now we have one here in verse 13. But now, you all who are far away, says Paul, have been brought near. Now, God and Israel were known to be near to one another. God said he would carry them on eagles' wings and have them close to his heart. But in contrast, the Gentiles were far away. But God had promised right through the Old Testament by several prophets, that he would bring them near too. How beautiful are on the mountains are the feet of them, says Isaiah, who bring good news, and later on, who speak peace to those who are near, but also speak peace to those who are far away. 
But this nearness to God that we have, we take for granted too often. This week, I've been thinking again of that passage. People had COVID in the house again this week. Uh, in Philippians, that famous passage uh, where Paul says, do not be anxious, but in everything with thanksgiving, present your request to God. But the line before says, the Lord is near. Therefore, do not be anxious, but present your request to God. I don't know if you are going through a tough time, through a storm. In some ways, the churches, internationally, nationally, locally, it's been a tough, tough season. But God is near, and he will never stop being near. No matter what kind of week you've had, God's not going to ever stop being near. Whatever day you've got tomorrow, maybe some difficult meetings, some difficult things, God is never going to stop being near. So do not be anxious. Everything's not going to fall apart. Not at home, not at work, not here at ABC, not globally. God's grace will always go forward. The Lord is near. So Paul says, remember what you were, you were far off, but now you've been brought near. Let's have a look at how we've been brought near uh, in verses 13b to 15a. So he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. There are three ways he's brought us near. The blood shed, the wall destroyed, and the law replaced. First of all, we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, the Roman execution of Jesus Christ involved great violence and brutality, but it is that crucifixion that brings us peace with God, that brings us near. I can't help thinking of the words of Isaiah 53, where he says, the chastisement that brought us peace was on him. By his stripes we are healed. He was cut off from the land of the living, but he was cut off so that we can be brought near. So the blood of Christ brings us near. Also, the wall destroyed brings us near. Look at verse 14. He himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now, in Jerusalem, in the temple, where they made atonement for sins, the priests, by shedding blood, there was a wall and it kept Gentiles out. And there were signs that said trespassers will be executed. Only Jewish men were welcome. And remember that Paul is writing this letter. And as he's writing the letter, where is he? He's, he's in prison. And why was he imprisoned? Because he was accused of falsely bringing a Gentile into the temple. So this is very real for Paul. But you know that wall and the whole temple was smashed down by the Romans in AD 70 when they destroyed the whole city. But Paul is writing the letter 10, 15 years before that, and he says that this wall was pretty much metaphorically smashed down when Jesus died on the cross. The Gospels tell us that there was a veil in the temple that was torn in two from top to bottom. It's the same kind of thing. Jesus has died to give all nations access 
so that they can be brought near. The dividing wall has come down in AD 30 or so when Jesus died in the cross because he's died for the whole world to give the whole world access if they will believe and come to him. There's something else that was also destroyed and done away with, and we read about that in verse 15. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. So he's abolished the law and set aside its commandments. What does it mean that Jesus has abolished the law? There were different aspects to the Jewish law. The ceremonial law involved sacrifices and cleanness rituals and circumcision and foods that you could eat and foods that you couldn't eat. And all this erected a serious barrier between Jews and Gentiles. They couldn't sit and eat together. Not permitted. More than that, if a Jew married a Gentile, the family would organize a funeral. But Jesus sets this whole ceremonial law aside, dying on the cross, because in dying on the cross, he fulfills all the the shadows and types of that law. He fulfills it. It was only a temporary means of distinguishing God's people. Now he's fulfilled it, and so that law is gone. It's passed away, no longer needed. But then there's also a moral law, the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots, which impose a barrier between us and God because no matter how hard we try, we can't obey it. We can't do it. We deviate towards sin. The very first command, you shall have no gods before me, says the Lord. Well, we we create gods. We worship other gods. We give our time and energy resources towards other things apart from God. We just can't obey God's law. And so it separates us from God. This law creates a barrier between us and God and each other. But again, Jesus fulfilled the law in our place. He did it for us. So now in Christ, we don't have two groups called Jew and Gentile. We have a new category that the people called Christians. So why has this happened? Why have we been brought near? Verses 15 to 22. Well, Paul is saying that he's abolished all these old things in order to create something new, a new humanity. In fact, he tells us about three purposes that he has. Let's have a look at these three purposes. Purpose one, a new humanity. Can you see it there in verse 15? His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Next Saturday, is it Saturday? The Six Nations start. Love the Six Nations. In Thailand, never got to watch the rugby. That was the one thing I would have said if they'd interviewed me into, oh, I miss the rugby. Never get to watch it. I don't know if you guys have ever been to the National Stadium in Cardiff. Have you? And have you witnessed the goosebumps on the back of your head as they sing Myhen Vlad Van Hadai and other amazing hymns? The, the Welsh love playing against the English. I think every, every team loves playing against the English. They reserve their, their greatest efforts for those occasions. But you know that every four years, a new team is formed out of 
England, Ireland, Scotland, and Wales. Those nations that beat the heck out of each other every Saturday are now formed into a new team. They take off their national colors and they don the colors of the British Lions. They now have the same identity and they're united together rather than in opposition. This is the kind of thing Paul is talking about here in the verses to follow and into chapter three. He tells us about a new reconciled team who now have the same identity. They are a new team, a new humanity. And this new humanity and this new unity does more than just span the Jewish-Gentile divide. As he says in Colossians 3.11, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile or circumcised or uncircumcised or if you're barbarian, uncivilized, or you're a slave, or you're free, you're all one in Christ. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Or in Galatians 3.28, Paul again says, there is neither Jew, nor Gentile, nor slave, nor free, nor is there male or female. You're all one in Christ. What is he saying? He's saying that the old racial and tribal and patriarchal hierarchies that blight and divide our world are gone before God. In the kingdom of God, there is a new unity and equality in Christ. And that's why Christians need to stand against racism and nationalism and slavery and patriarchy in all its forms, inside and outside of the church. Purpose one, to create a new kingdom humanity. Purpose two, verse 16 in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. Reconciliation. God's purpose is always reconciliation. Now, bringing this home individually, I think one of the most painful things in life is falling out with good people, is it not? Has this ever happened to you? I can assure you it will, because we're so broken that we misunderstand one another, we get the wrong end of the stick, and then we caricature the other person, and we get hurt, and we let hurts fester, and we end up with strained and broken relationships. And this is one of the most energy-sapping and devastating things that can happen to us as human beings, because we're, we're relational beings, just as God is relational. And it's especially devastating for Christians with this ideal and with these kind of verses, we know that things should be better between us. But God's final word will be reconciliation. If you have a broken relationship, there will be reconciliation. And we should do everything we can to affect it now, but either in this life or the next, there will be reconciliation because God will make sure that his purposes come to pass. He's going to build a new humanity, and he's going to effect reconciliation. And he wants to use his people to be dispensers of reconciliation wherever we go. That's the standard. His third purpose is to build his church. And we see this in verses 19 to 22. And we see that he uses a couple of metaphors for the church here. So verse 19, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, 
but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. So the first metaphor is his household. We're not just citizens under his rule, says Paul, but we're children in his family. It was interesting to hear a lot of verses read this morning about being God's children. This brotherhood we have, this fellowship that we have, it crosses all racial barriers. It it crosses all class barriers. The Greek word for brotherly love is Philadelphia. And it's Philadelphia that should be the main characteristic of us as his people. Not grumpiness, not self-centeredness, not pride, Philadelphia. And we need to try to take care to express that Philadelphia when we gather, when we greet each other, when we see each other. Even if we're disagreeing, it's to be done with Philadelphia. Now, when we look around at the church, and I'm looking at you all this morning, we might think, looking at this motley crew of very ordinary people, some of us very broken who gather in local churches, why would God bother with us? Wouldn't he prefer something more impressive that reflects his glory? Wouldn't he prefer a cathedral full of A-list celebrities? But God has an extraordinary passion and commitment towards ordinary churches and ordinary people, and he considers us his household, his family. In the words of Sister Sledge, we are family. I've got all my sisters with me and brothers. Get up, everybody, and sing. That's the first uh, metaphor, that we are his household, his family. Second metaphor is that we are his temple. In the temple, he tells us about the foundations of the temple first. So he says, verse 20, we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. The apostles here is with a capital A. It refers to the group that Jesus chose and called and authorized to teach in his name and write the New Testament. And so what they taught, they expected the church to believe and preserve. And that's why we're going through a series in the letter to Ephesians. Because Paul has written this and he was an apostle. And we're built up on this foundation. Our faith is built up. Maybe when he says prophets, apostles and prophets, he's referring to both the New Testament and the Old Testament. That's a possibility. But this foundation of the scriptures... It's really key to building us up and keeping the whole building in line. But the crucial part to the foundations is the cornerstone. The temple in Jerusalem had these huge, massive cornerstones. And Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the new temple. And unless we're built on him and securely related to him, our unity is going to disintegrate. But Christ wants us to be built up on him together, so that we can be a dwelling for his Holy Spirit. The Lord is near, and his Spirit is with us this morning. So in conclusion, Paul wants to remind the Ephesians of what they were, cut off, alienated from the promises. 
He wants to remind them what they are now, brought near. He wants to tell them how they've been brought near, through the bloodshed, through the, 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 the wall of hostility demolished and through the law replaced. And he wants to tell us why these three purposes, culminating in his purpose to build the church. So what might the Holy Spirit be saying to us this morning through all of, us, through all of this? I think very simply, the message is this. Church is really important. It's not just part of our lives. When we choose to go to a church, it's not like we're choosing to go to Tesco, not Sainsbury. Church is our primary identity now. When you're in Christ, you belong to this family. We don't come to church, we are the church. And we're not unconnected to each other. We are like bricks, bound together in the same wall. So how can you show love to your church today? And the church worldwide is also part of your identity. The church worldwide, the church nationally, and the church locally. And all of those have gone through a really tough season with this pandemic. Some of it's due to the pandemic. Some of, some of it is the pandemic exposing underlying things. But what we must resolve as his people is that we're going to be part of the healing, part of the Philadelphia. We must be careful to build the church, not undermine the church. And this is actually the focus of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, but the focus of every single letter that he writes in the New Testament. I've run out of time, and Biddy's going to come and pray but I've got some scriptures here that I'd like you to look up. And they're here. And as Biddy comes up, maybe we can have a few moments of quiet. This is really the hinge in the book of Ephesians. We have the the teaching first, and then we have the application second. And we've got many verses here which really apply the teaching this morning. So have a look at these, and then Biddy will pray. Thank you, Chris. Yes, verse 11 of the passage you read said, remember. So let's spend a few minutes just remembering what we were. All from very different backgrounds and situations. But all initially without hope, without God. But let's now think of where we are now, what and who we are now, brought near through the blood of the Lord Jesus. Let's rejoice in that in our hearts and remember. And as Chris reminded us, why has it happened? Because God was creating, has created a new humanity, a new team. We're part of that completely integrated, coordinated team. Let's just ponder, how am I building the church?
And as the church, we're the church in God's world. So we'll continue to pray, praying for the world in which he has put us. And Father God, rather than living in a world that's united by your love, a united team, we live in a world torn apart in so many places by conflict and strife. And we pray particularly this morning for the Ukraine. Oh, Lord, that you will stay the hand of President Putin, of Russia. Diplomacy may be effective, war averted. Lord, we pray particularly for our brothers and sisters in that land, that they may just know a peace that only you can give. And Lord, for Christians in Afghanistan, Lord, we learn that now that is the most difficult country in the world in which to believe in you and to worship you. And yet, Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters as they worship you in their hearts, as they know that they've been brought near and they're part of our family. Protect and comfort them, we pray. And Lord, we think of China and Hong Kong for so many people who are here settling in this country, in our city, particularly from Hong Kong at this time. And Lord, as we do that, we want to celebrate too with our Chinese friends from wherever they are who are celebrating Chinese New Year this coming year, this coming week. And Lord, we thank you for that reminder that some of us may have heard this morning on the radio that Christians are celebrating Chinese New Year because it's a family occasion. And Lord, we pray that Christians and all of us who are part of God's family may celebrate together with our Chinese friends this time of joy and peace. And then Lord, we do pray for our own church here in Above Bar. Lord, help us to show that love and friendship, that unity together with all who worship with us, from those that come to our English language cafe or part of our home groups or our global gathering, our youth groups, our children's groups, our um, contact group. Lord, we just pray for all of them that, Lord, we might be one in you, all one in Christ Jesus. And Father, we do bring to you, because we are family, those in our church family today who are suffering in just so many different ways. Oh, Lord, you know. You know their needs. You know the difficulties, the problems. And we just pray for comfort, for healing. Lord, may there be an awareness of your presence, but of us praying as your family for them this morning. May they feel that presence in a special way, we pray. And finally, as you've commanded us to, Lord, we do pray for our nation, for our government, for those that lead us. Oh, Lord, we pray for stable and wise government. And Lord, we pray too for those uh, in the north of our country today who are suffering from the storms and from all sorts of discomfort. Lord, we praise you for the sun shining here in the south, but we are mindful of our brothers and sisters and all of those that are suffering today uh, because of uh, this adverse weather. Father, thank you that you know about it all. 
You love us, you care for us, and you've brought us near through the Lord Jesus. We thank you in his powerful name. Amen.